Welcome everybody to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today I'm sitting down with the best looking, oldest, because this guy's got to be like 200 years because he's packed so much experience into his life. We didn't actually get into what his age is, but he's damn good looking for a 200 plus year old man. This is Neil Belenke. He is the CEO of Ascent Drywall and Coating. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thanks for having me, Lance, and you're far too kind. And I'm a young 200 by any, by any stretch of the measure. <laughs> Well, and I joke about that, but I mean, we were just talking before we hit the record button that you have 50 plus startups and businesses that you have uh, turned around in the course of the last 15 years. And when I think about 50 businesses that you've been involved with, I mean, those are lifetimes usually um, that it takes for just a couple of businesses basically to be under one's belt. And so that's the joke. I mean, I just can't believe what you've accomplished. That is incredible. Well, I, I appreciate it. Please recognize that um, it is a team in every case for any kind of success or failure, uh, or probably more, more of the success failures are done by individuals more often. Uh, so yeah, I've been involved in certainly 50 plus companies doing Big, really interesting, often strategic projects and the execution of those projects. You probably heard the story that a, a, a well-executed crappy plan is more effective than a poorly executed excellent plan. And yeah. so we, we uh, I, try, I try to be involved in a team where we're, we're putting together the, the best chance to execute the best thought out plan we can come up with. Um, and we just do it over and over and over again. Yeah, it's all about creating those systems, right? And understanding the course of business in general. And this is what I love. And this is what I'm trying to do with this show is there are so many um, mistakes that we continue to make as entrepreneurs that other people have already walked those that path and have already created those uh, those lessons and learnings. And so it's about sharing those. Yeah. And you're doing it internally with all these businesses as you systematize the processes and find the efficiencies. And, and it's just kind of rinse and repeat yeah. with a different you know skin to each one of them because they're different businesses. That's right. But probably 80% of the business operational stuff is kind of the same, right? I'm, I'm a revenue guy. So if we look at um, a hospital for businesses, my specialty is in revenue negotiations, closing deals. So holistically, mm -hmm. any company that comes to our hospital that has problems, they're not just solve, solve, you know, not suffering from just one place. So we got to put together a physician team of experts uh, to be able to treat the business in every different area. And we try to do that with experts as opposed to generalists. I use the philosophy right. that if a loved one is sick with a with a, a a horrible illness you don't take them to a gp you don't take them to a walk-in clinic you take them to the you know if you have access to the world's best or foremost yeah. leading position for solving that specific illness it should be the same for for businesses uh, yeah. finding someone who has solved that problem for, before specifically where the team is the hospital people should be going to and i'm lucky enough to know a bunch of wizards in different places uh business areas and uh we put the team together depending on what the challenges are, what the business is facing, and we go from there. But I, I really only feel a degree of expertise in, in the one area around the, the revenue development or profitability. Um, it, that will solve an awful lot of problems, obviously, but not it'll create a few also, but it won't uh, it won't do it on its own. It takes lots of people. So now, Neil, if you don't have a business card that say, says Neil Belenke, MD for businesses, <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. I I, I think you're totally missing out here I, on an opportunity uh, because that should, is really what should be on it. I think you're right. I see. This is why I'm not in marketing. I'm not an expert. Nice work. 
<laughs> Excellent. Okay, so now the business that you're currently in, uh, you've been in for uh, uh, two and a half years, or uh, I shouldn't say the business you're currently in because you're doing multiple businesses simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But the one that uh, I introduced you as the CEO for my primary focus, correct? Yeah, it's your primary focus for the last two and a half years. Yeah, and uh, that's one where you were brought in as a turnaround specialist. Uh, talk okay. to us a little bit about what you're doing there and what does that mean turnaround specialist sure so um quick history uh, i i i and in context i prefer to work with people that i know and trust more than mm -hmm. industries that i have experience in and so okay. i follow i follow people as opposed to um as opposed to specific um opportunities uh, I hired um, the founder and owner of the, and majority owner of uh, Ascent Drawbell and Coatings. I, I hired him to paint my house in 2014 with this team. And it was the most unique experience that they were so good to deal with. And they were so nice and they were just trying to do a good job. He was younger than me. I appreciated all the effort he put in. And a year, every, you know, a year after and then every year after that, we had like a coffee or a beer or a lunch, just staying in touch. And then I finished another project about two and a half years ago. And within about a week or two, coincidentally, he and I were catching up. And I was listening to what he was doing, and it was drowning. Uh, he was getting buried, fighting fires in the same places and all sorts of different projects. And uh, he was at the end of his rope. And I was looking for what I was going to do next. It's the kind of thing that's all before. I knew him. I trusted him. We had that same relationship of having even worked together back in 2014. And he asked if I would come on board and take the reins. So what did that look like? And we can go into whatever degree of, uh, of specificity you'd like to, 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 you know, whatever rabbit holes we want to go down to. But um, we had every area of the business in trouble. And so mm -hmm. it was the most complete turnaround, I think, that I've ever been involved in, in that I shut down estimating and bidding. We shut down 100% of business development because I didn't want to risk winning any more business that wasn't profitable or wasn't well thought out. Um, we had to redo our entire financial modeling. We had to fire a bunch of customers based on a set of criteria that we had to define as to who we were going to work with going forward and who were our ideal customers and who weren't and why. Mm -hmm. I had to get partner alignment around what the future of, these, of the structure of the company is going to look like. We had to know what was profitable business, what wasn't profitable business. Had to get buy-in from each of the different partners. And um, we had to rebuild supplier partnerships we had to we had to put in controls for theft we had to put in mm -hmm. accountability for staff who were taking advantage of uh, of lax processes and it took a year um, because a lot of these projects will take in fact more than two years it took a year of full losses before we started to really see momentum changing now within 45 to 60 days we had customers saying your company is unrecognizable so the customer experience translated very quickly and yep. we were able to go, we were able to, to, you know, present the, um, the goals to our partners and tell them what we were trying to do and how we were going to go about doing it in order to gain trust. But it took a year and a half to two years for profitability to actually come around where the new projects that were being bid on were in fact now underway and they were yep. profitable and to the point where they were offsetting the legacy projects that were tearing us apart. And yep. then uh, by the end of last year, we actually ended up about 20% up EBITDA-wise over the wow. previous year. And then yep. this year, this year again, we're continuing to do the exact same. And it's a um, it's a goal to work with good people as opposed to chasing revenue. Yeah, yeah, and I and I love that you said at the 
outset that you get in business with people that you know and trust, right? Mm -hmm. um, because that is what matters is the people in all of the businesses. And there's a lot of companies out there that'll talk or CEOs that'll talk about, yeah, you know, it's all about the people. If it wasn't for my team, I wouldn't be as successful or the business wouldn't be where it's at and stuff. But yep. a lot of times it's just lip service. But the companies that actually are the leaders who really, truly believe in that, you can build a great company. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, a great company around great people. And so having that as your your first yeah. criteria, I think, is it's, brilliant. Uh, it is... One, it has been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn because um, I have a big ego uh, was that I'm absolutely terrible at reading people and I, I trust a little bit too easily. And yeah. uh, I assume when someone says something that they're being honest and what I had to learn over and over and over again, they were expensive lessons was that talk is cheap and actions are everything. Yeah. And until someone has truly been tested, there's just an assumption that they are a good person or a good partner. Yeah. And uh, and I, it may sound cynical, but the reality is the people who I've been through business challenges with who were tested and we came up with 100 percent aligned values, you know, as as ref, as represented by actions with the people that I want to continue to do business with, because I know that whatever stress we get into, we're going to come out in the same in the place that we want to be by virtue of already having been tested before. And I think too often people assume people are good, much like a marriage. And then when it gets stressful. That's where you see the challenges where misalignment or differing values, maybe both with the best of intentions, uh, will, will just crater uh, an opportunity or, or, or relationships or businesses as a result. So, yeah, I, I absolutely follow the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good lesson. Now, in terms of the other things that you do, I wanted to share with the audience that you're, you know, like I mentioned at the top, that you're not just doing this business, you have multiple things on the go. And one of the ones that I think is just absolutely fascinating, and I just love, love this model, is the $2,000 coffee. And so tell us a little bit about that. I spent decades having coffees, meeting as many people as I could meet, and yeah. listening, trying to understand what was going on. And I found that the act of just talking about what each other were doing um, promoted an opportunity uh, discussion around opportunities where those individual areas of interest overlapped. And then the discussion went from there around where the opportunities were. So I had so many of those that I realized as I was leaving a, another business that I was in, that if I was going to have one consistent identity or consistent business that, that followed in the background of everything else that I did, one email that was going to be there for a long time, uh, I did so much business over coffee. Why not have a coffee based business? So the $2,000 coffee is, uh, is it's, it's, it's a catchy name. Um, I found out after the fact from friends of mine that I should also have considered the $5,000 cigar, or the $10,000 scotch. And so again, <laughs> not being the perfect marketer, I, I, I probably missed on a couple of different menu items we could have, we could have attached ourselves to, yeah. but the model is pretty simple in that, um, over a coffee, typically three hours, so maybe multiple coffees, solving a problem worth, you know, significantly in excess of $2,000. So that it's a profitable proposition for customers or or, or clients, and uh, carrying a lifetime guarantee. And so for six or seven years, and I, I don't even know how many, 40, 50 plus coffees, a bunch of them repeats, uh, have gone on to solve individually identified challenges uh, for two thousand dollars that yeah. have uh, significant impacts on on businesses and people's lives. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just love the concept and I love the fact that you're just giving like really good actionable advice to these people as opposed to coming in as, you know, this advisor who, you know, knows the overall concepts of, you know, management consulting or something like that, but haven't yeah. walked the talk. So you specifically are matching them up with experts who have actually walked in those same shoes who have done yeah. the things that these people who are coming to you with their problems that they need an action uh, plan on or some advice on or whatever yeah. um, you're matching them up with people who have actually lived it and done it right yeah Very the different. consulting model is broken i believe in that a lot of times consultants may be aware of the strategies and processes but if they haven't actually led themselves uh, led those processes and strategies themselves yep. um, the unexpected is guaranteed. And, and Mike Tyson had that great quote that um, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the real world punches and it punches hard. Yeah. And so if someone's trying to accomplish something and they get a chance to get guidance from someone who has done that specific task before, the real world experience from that individual uh, will hopefully help the client to not cut themselves in a place that that other person already has a scar. So they can they can skip having to learn those lessons. They get a chance to speed through at a more predictable risk tolerance, uh, whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. And then the majority of of these of these coffees end up with a specific plan. By the time the coffee is over, the person has a plan to solve or execute uh, to achieve whatever the goal was coming to the coffee. And then on top of that, they've typically got a bunch of introductions to individuals necessary who they didn't know already, uh, who are going to be integral to being able to execute that plan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and just so you know, the checks in the mail, Neil. So okay. <laughs> yeah. no. um, okay. So I, I, I'm just really curious about, I, there's usually commonality in terms of the threads of the, the questions or the, the challenges that businesses face. And so mm. I'd love to hear from you, what are some of those commonalities that you found in the $2,000 coffees, if yeah. there are any? Um, so we don't typically, I don't typically accept $2,000 coffees where a goal is not achievable or is uh, unlikely to be, if the plan that's given is unlikely to be successfully executed on. And that, that may mm -hmm. sound like it's a very subjective, um, a subjective um, approach, but I, I certainly communicate very transparently with individuals that where we decline uh, the $2,000 coffee opportunity, the concerns around it. And, the, and they, they understand, uh, they understand typically, at least by virtue of the, the clarity. And I'll give you an example. Someone, uh, someone asked for a coffee where they wanted to be positioned for a, a $250,000 job, a 250000 a year job package uh, for an academic institution in British Columbia. Okay. And they didn't have the job. They wanted that job. Um, while I've got an awful lot of comfort in negotiations, um, and closing deals. I, I didn't have enough knowledge or comfort that this individual was in fact either qualified uh, or, 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 the, or, the, or the, the compensation model was consistent for that position with what the goal was for this individual. Now that's a, it seems to be an easy one. There's a, a lot more diligence that goes into more complicated ones, but it's an example of where someone says, hey, if it's 2000 bucks, lifetime money back guarantee, I'll pay that 2000 for that guy to get me that job. And, uh, and it's no brainer. Well, yeah, I think it probably would be a no brainer from, from that individual's perspective. But as you can imagine, from our perspective, having a, having a failure on our record is, is not, not, um, 
it's an acceptable risk, but that specific project was not a good fit. Uh, speaking of failures, um, yeah. how many people have asked for a refund? Zero. No one yeah. has ever asked for your refund. And we've got lots of repeat customers. And yeah. so um, the comfort of, of having projects that are given to us where we've actually solved those problems ourselves gives us comfort that we can create that value. And even if the goal is fail, it has not been achieved, um, it, there's there's never been a, a client who's come back thinking that the advice was, uh, the advice was, it wasn't worth every penny and then more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's it's like, quite broad in terms yeah. of the people who are reaching out to you though like from from like <laughs> trying to land the perfect job to yeah to well like raise, raising raising money from venture capital in silicon valley to um non-profit um uh funding non-profits uh in multiple places around the world to yeah. hr challenges um a lot of revenue deal closing uh financial um uh investment pitches uh, cap table uh, in order to help set up structures for new companies and and uh, entice partners to come in or investors to come in uh, disputes between partners. Typically things that are very measurable uh, that someone has failed to be able to solve themselves multiple times to the point where at the very last minute, they're finally accepting the fact that they need help. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's very rarely someone who comes in without a pressing problem that uh that that is looking very humbly that they need help and they think this is something they would invest in and try to help to make them stronger in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. And, and in hindsight, another big one is M&A. Uh, mm. Someone is someone doing diligence or considering an acquisition and wanting to figure out whether or not it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's having someone else help to stress test whether or not an acquisition would be in their best interest financially or not. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, you didn't just wake up one morning and, and all of a sudden become this expert that can provide all this advice and, and go into companies and actually help them facilitate the, the turnarounds of these companies and so on. Um, what did you do to get yourself to this place in time where you have this expertise? Um, I'm, I'm really curious about your development and, and, you know, and yeah. some of the, those painful lessons that where you have had to learn the hard way sometimes to become the expert. I've always been really focused and, um, and, and I think I'm OCD as well, which helps me to remain focused on details. I was a salesperson at heart and that's where I built my, I started my career was in sales. And I realized that as long as I played to my strength, I could, I could rise up the sales ladder and become that specialist in the business hospital. Uh, closing closing deals that were harder, more valuable, um, more risky. Um, the, I could build a career just based on being able to close high value deals. A lot of people go into organizations, bigger companies, thinking that they're going to want to learn every different area of the business, and that's where they have a, a you know a personal philosophy that a GP is better for their long term career. And I'm not disagreeing with that, but for me, I stuck to being um, honing my trade at closing deals. And what I, of course, recognized was that I needed to be surrounded by other people as when I became a business owner who knew how to do everything else. So meeting a bunch of people uh, with me sticking or sticking focused on the on the, the closing of deals was was the, was the critical piece. As I as I started trying to take more ownership and responsibility for closing those deals, I had to deal with my shortest, like my biggest weaknesses. And one of them was finance, because looking at assessing a deal. Uh, required me to have a degree of understanding about whether or not the deal should be done in the first place, what the furthest terms that we could accept or propose financially 
it, were, were um, we had to be able to do our diligence to know what the what the structure of the deal needed to be able to look like. So what I did in that regard was I went to Harvard Business School and took a senior finance course, and that helped me to understand better what um, the strategies around finance needed to look like and how to read the P&Ls and how to make sure that I had an understanding around the implications of different debt ratios, uh, uh, tax tax relief tools, enough to be a little dangerous, enough to recognize the value of having a very capable CFO. But that finance piece was my weakest component. So when I finished at, at, at Harvard, I, I also learned how to teach better because it was definitely the most impressive educational experience that I had had. And I tried mm-hmm. to learn even just from how I was taught there. Yeah. And so, so having had that basic degree of comfort around structure, finance, and closing the deals, it was then simply standing on the shoulders of great people before me so that I could see further. Taking best practices from all the different industries, learning from what other people had done, uh, mistakes just as much as, pro- as, as successes, and uh, doing it over and over and over again to see enough things that it, it helped me to uh, recognize risks or, or potential uh, checkmates in the future and at the same time see some other plays that others might not have seen coming. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And so I I'm curious with all of the conversations that you had um, and then all the businesses that you worked in and so on and worked with um, what are, you know, if you could distill it down to three top mm-hmm. pieces of pieces of advice, like what yeah. should every entrepreneur know, I guess, going into, into their business, uh, into their entrepreneurial journey. Number one, um, know your weaknesses. Mm. Like I said, mine is, mine is, I trust, uh, I trust, and I, I don't read people super well. So now when I conduct interviews, I have someone else in the room with me. Yeah. Always, because I, I look to them for advice on, was that person telling the truth? What do you think was the strength? Where do you think where the weaknesses were? I don't read people that well. I'm a very, uh, as I said, I, whatever, whatever strengths someone might have, they typically are, 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 are shallow in those different areas. I am so shallow that uh, there's no water left where, where those weaknesses are. And so finding, accepting those weaknesses and finding other people who can fill those gaps, number one. Number two, and this may be the hardest one for people, um, stay true to your values. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example is the PGA and the Live Golf Tour just merged. The PGA's leadership and their golfers talked about sport washing, um, you know, they were the, the money being the only reason people were doing anything. It's never about the money. It's supposed to be about the integrity of the sport and, and the, and the pride that goes with doing, you know, doing business the way the PGA does. And then a couple of days ago, they just merged with live. Yep. Well, that's not true to their values. Um, and everybody knows the cash is King and, and they were, they were, comp- they were willing to compromise their values for a price. Um, people may feel that that's worth it if that's if that falls within the comfort of their values paradigm. But um, you need to you need to know what you're willing to accept and not willing to accept. You need to make decisions based on it because others will eventually judge you similarly. The PGA will never be trusted again when it talks about sports washing or, or money not being cash not being king, and they may accept that just based on whatever the price was that that uh, that bought this decision. But smaller businesses don't have that luxury, and your reputation is forever. And uh, and so I think making sure that people stay true to their values and get known for those values will help them to identify others with similar values more easily in the future because they will become aware and their reputation will precede them. Yeah. The, the last one is stick with what you know. 
do not try to learn new things all the time. How many times have you seen a successful business owner exit a business and then go into an entirely new industry and just get clobbered? Yep. Just because yep. you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at a bunch of things. And so as I, as I explained where I try to stay true to my, my strength in, in closing deals and, and, and new revenue generation, uh, I did not decide I was going to get into labor negotiations. And I, and I, and I, I, that would be an example of, of having to start again from scratch and learning an entirely new paradigm and with all the risks that come with that, stick with what you know, repeat, 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 and the likelihood of success I think is going to be exponential. Yeah, love them all. Yeah, really good advice. So I, now your journey um, has been over the course of uh, 15 years as an entrepreneur, 15 plus years. And I'm, I'm really curious about the, when I talk to very successful people um, and I put you into that camp, I'm, I'm curious about how they balance you know, the demands, especially when you're moving into all these different kinds of industries as well. So you're not mm -hmm. industry agnostic. So there's always going to be a fair bit of learning. Obviously, you you are a lifelong student. It sounds like you will love Absolutely. to learn. Um, but that consumes a certain amount of time. And then also, obviously, trying to dissect and understand the businesses and, and so on. And you got multiple businesses going at the same time. How do you figure out that balance? I uh, I always want my competition to have a balanced life. Yeah. I uh, I don't believe that um, that success that forget the forget the outliers. I don't believe that success is easy. I think that the people who work hardest for it are the ones who have the most likelihood of being successful. Yeah. The people who the people who work hardest for it are the ones that people will trust the most uh, with their with their money, with their business, with their people. And um, hard work is, uh, is I think, the measure of, of success. I would much rather hire someone who's willing to work really hard versus someone who is lazy but really smart. Yeah. And there are arguments that a lazy person is going to find more efficient ways to be able to do something. Yeah. Well, the reality is, is um, that's for the bare minimum. But someone who works really hard will will figure out ways to be successful in the job, and will keep taking on more, more and more um, responsibility uh, and and learning to try to provide more value. And that's that's the teammate uh, that I'm looking for on on my teams. So I think I think um, well, I mean, it's got a, it's it's a decision also made at the family level. So my wife is the minister of domestic affairs in our government. I'm the minister of finance. She runs the government. She is a true partner in our government, our, our relationship. She she makes the decision whether or not we're going to be able to invest the time, <clears throat> raise energy, you know, cash into anything that we're going to do together. And so we haven't had a proper vacation in probably 15 or 16 years because when you have multiple companies, um, there's a degree of responsibility and trying to have them all overlap at the same time to be able to leave at the same time is very difficult. Yeah. Almost, almost impossible. So we haven't been able to, as as entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, had that easy, balanced life that everybody talks about. Um, and at the same time, uh, because I enjoy what I'm doing, and my and my wife's comfortable with the risk that we, you know, in what we do and the lifestyle that's created for us, it works for us. Yeah, it doesn't work for everybody. Anybody who's looking for a balanced life, no stress at home, no stress, uh, not putting their house up for collateral for for banking. Uh, 
they're 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 looking for a um a job so yeah. a job that brings benefits and that and a job that's not going to have a uh, degree of stress at the end of the day yeah that's just and so if you're an entrepreneur you just have to accept that and if yeah. you are going to try and do it with a really balanced life and i think um i think your risk tall your risk is going to go up yeah significantly yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I and I think this is one of those uh one of those myths, right? I I mean, one of the things that a lot of people when they start getting into entrepreneurship, they're thinking, "Oh, like the flexibility. I'm going to love this. I can work my own hours and I can do this like I don't have a boss anymore." The reality yeah. of it is is you've got hundreds of bosses now because you've got yeah, every you know, every customer is a boss. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And so they're all needing a piece of you and then your team, your staff as you're building that, the same thing. I I mean, you're uh, it's, you're responding to the needs of that team as you're trying to grow and, and develop them. And so there is a bit of a myth there. What I do like about entrepreneurship in terms of the balance is it allows me to decide where I'm going to invest my time. And when I invest that extra amount of time, when I'm working on the weekend or, you know, working while I'm on a vacation, you know, when I'm, when I'm down in Penticton here in a few weeks and, and, uh, enjoying a little bit of time on the lake. I'm still going to be working in the mornings. I'm going to be, yeah. you know, checking my emails and stuff throughout the day. And I'm totally yep. okay with that. That's, yeah. that's, that's fine. I don't need to turn right off. And I actually don't even know how to turn right off. Uh, it's a great, it's a great point. The, yeah. um, the flexibility is significant, is off, off, obviously better when you're in control. Yeah. Um, when you're in control, you can say no. When you're an employee, you can't typically say no. Yeah. That's a, that's a big, that's a big difference. And, uh, it, when 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 trying to decide who one wants to work with uh one can one can also decline uh when one is the, when one is the boss yep. so there there are there are a lot of advantages and at the same time um if you don't have a business that allows you to get away to Penticton where you can work remotely there has to be a degree of comfort that you're going to be sticking around uh or or at least in the office or at least yep. working I, I, I sat down for a, uh, a social coffee with uh, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I, I think the guy was a partner, but a junior partner. And um, we were talking about a, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, about whether or not they were going to return to the office. And uh, early in the conversation, he was talking about, no, they're a four-day-a-week job now, and they don't work in the office. I asked them how how they leverage each other's areas of expertise and how they were able to collaborate. And he says, well, it's obviously more of a challenge. but we." Um, you know, we, we try to set time up where for an hour or two a week, we have a, we have a, a conference call and that's how we're able to, to do our collaboration. The conversation then went on and, you know, as we we're getting close to winding up the coffee, said, so is there a chance for us to be able to work together on any of the deals that you're on? And I said, well, I'll be honest with you. If I'm looking to, to contract in a service, I don't want someone who's working. I don't want a team who's working four days a week. Mm-hmm. I don't want a team that's not collaborating 20, you know, when they are working throughout the business hours of every day. And I want someone who's putting my interests uh, forefront, not yeah. they're not their they're not their quality of life. So no, it's it's not a good fit. But I respect what you guys are doing, and I, I'm sure that you got a much better position for you personally. But it's not a fit for me professionally. And he had no answer. And the reality is, if similar back to the the business hospital uh, analogy, if I've got someone, if I got a sick business, am I going to go to a part time doctor? who's yeah. not there dedicated to try to help me? Well, no. And, and the more customers who start asking the questions around level of engagement of the team that they're hiring or the people that they're hiring, uh, how, how their company works together, what their culture is, 
when they start asking those questions, those who have the most balanced lives, those who are working remotely, those who are are not um, necessarily working eight eight plus hours a day, um, they they will have a they that will be acceptable, but not to everybody. And there's compromises yeah. I think that, that that go that way. And as a business owner, you can choose to um, you can choose that direction yourself as opposed to as an employee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really. Really interesting. And I think you're going to absolutely love the guy that I interviewed yesterday, actually. Um, so his business was uh, Script Chain Health. And so mm. check out that episode because this is a young guy. He's uh, in his early 20s. Uh, he built his business while he was going to business school and and uh, getting his master's and stuff. And uh, he's disrupting the healthcare system a bit in the U.S. But the thing that just blew me away is here's this guy who is working a minimum of six days a week. And it seems like a minimum of, a, of, of 12 hours a day. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's starting his day at five 30 in the morning and working through to well seven. So, I mean, we're talking like 14 hours a day and yep. just, he's got the drive, the determination and exactly yep. the person that you're talking about. And he's going to find success. It doesn't matter what those roadblocks are that he gets tossed up in front of him. He's going to find success because he's going to plow right through them. And that's what we were talking mm -hmm. about in that episode is just the brute force of his determination is going to be his success. You can't, you can't do it alone. So for the part that you have control over to work your way through any, any challenges, brute force um, is the best that you can offer. And the pe yeah. people that you need around you will if they recognize and value the fact that you have that degree of commitment, uh, not only will they step up, but their their relationships, their resources will also trust you that you'll you'll be able to you know protect and uh, represent their best chance for a return on their investment as well. It, I think it's unfortunate that um, there's a sense of a sense of laziness um, or quality of life that is being uh, being, being, uh, extolled as the end all be all it's a choice mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that choice. But I think those, as with every choice, there are cause and effect, uh, results. And so people have to expect, I think if they're going to work less, that there's going to be uh, a pro rata reflection of that, of that investment, um, energy wise, even on their compensation. And that's the cost, uh, of having that quality of life that they're looking for and those people who work like your like your example just a minute ago who work that hard um often when they do have a successful exit people say oh my god this person they just they started this company and three years later they walked away with 100 million bucks and it's so unfair yeah. well you know first off you could do it too you could work that hard you could take the risk um but they're not willing often to work that hard they're not willing to take the risk and it's not an overnight success. It's a staggering amount of, of failure and risk and frustration that happens behind every entrepreneur's closed office door. Yeah. Uh, the risk of payroll not being able to be paid, the risk of not being able to close the next deal, the bank being dry and not being able to afford to, to keep the, the, rent, the rent checks paid. Those 10, 15, 20 year old companies who people think was an overnight success are unfortunately not giving the respect and kudos due to those people leading those businesses who work so hard to make them successful. Yeah. They create jobs, livelihoods, technologies, um, all sorts of great things for the economy. And I, I think it's really unfortunate when, when, when people don't um, respect what business owners and entrepreneurs are able to do 
um, because capitalism is probably the biggest support pillar for our economy and, and entrepreneurs who take on those risks. Um, 100%. They create benefits for everybody. And I think, uh, I think it's unfortunate that we're seeing a sense of, um, a sense of animosity towards successful people who help to, you know, raise the tide for everybody. Yeah. Oh, completely. We are not job takers. We're job makers. And that's yeah. why the economy, uh, you know, pivots around the success of, of, of businesses. And we have to recognize yeah. that and support that as much as possible. Um, you know, any, any of these government programs where this handouts directly to individuals, as opposed to actually trying to stimulate business growth, is just crazy because the multiplier effect is, is just so apparent. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm curious if you could, uh, you know, write your younger entrepreneurial self a letter and you could spin yeah. those wheels of time backwards and place it, you know, on the desk or in the hand of, of young Neil, what would you tell yourself in that letter? Yeah. One of the best business learnings that I could pass on uh, to a younger me would be paper, even by email, put in writing uh, the agreements that you have and do fewer handshake agreements. Mm. And it's not because I would trust people less. It's because by virtue of writing it down, and as I said, even over email, it doesn't have to be a, a lawyer-generated uh, document. By virtue of writing down expectations of individuals on both sides of an agreement, that forces the difficult conversations to be had before getting started. It, yeah. force, it forces a cause and effect for actions, compensation, results, everything. And that will hold people accountable on both sides. Because when you're, when you're not able to read people really well and you say you're going to do something, you do it because you expect they're going to do, they're going to, they're going to do their part after that they agreed to do. And too many times I found that I was, I was the one left, left hanging. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it, it, take, it cuts away a little bit at you every time you get left hanging when someone doesn't do what they say they're going to do. So, or what I thought they meant that they were going to do. And so if we'd had it written out, even by email saying, hey, if I do this, you're going to do this. Or if you do this, I'm going to do this. And if that doesn't work out, here's how we're going to be able to manage that. That would remove an awful lot of risk that I didn't think, I, I think in hindsight, I didn't necessarily need to take. And I'm sure others would have felt that um, we would have better better defined those responsibilities at the start. Right? Yeah. Clear communication, transparency, and documentation is uh, is a it's a foundation for what um, I built every business on from for the last decade forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really good one. And a previous guest of mine, he termed uh, or called it uh, good paper makes good friends. Right. Mm. And so it's just about, yeah, like articulating it. Because and having, and it forces you, it? it forces you to have the conversations and then it yeah. removes the risk of lack of memory yeah. and recall. Yeah. Yeah, so, which so, we all suffer from. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the other thing which it does, I think it's effective way, is that two people can be thinking the other person is saying something. And, and with the best of intentions on both sides, they can be approaching it. But until it's in writing and you yeah. clarify something typically in writing, until that happens, there's no way that they actually know for sure what yeah. that other person means when they say something. And that, those, those things can be, those, those can be removed, uh, those yeah. risks, I think. And it's a huge benefit. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting with, you know, a 
person from my team with a client and we're talking about, you know, needs or whatever. And then we, we come out of that meeting and it's like, okay, so it's really clear. We've got to do this, this, and this. Right. And, and my team members like, ah, that's not quite what I heard. (laughs) It's like, okay, wait a minute. Clearly we need to need to write this down and make sure that the client uh, signs off on this because we, we, we don't have clarity right now. And you can really get to that clarity by stress testing. So you, mm. people can say one, one person can say something, the other per, person can say something, and you can both think that person means something else. And it can both, it can move forward unless you say, well, what happens if this doesn't work? And then by yeah. virtue of that stress testing, what happens? Uh, or if it does happen, what are the next steps? By virtue of running through what it means as opposed to what the words were, uh, that exercise is, uh, it, should be, it should be 100% required in every major decision, in every company. Because stress testing is the only way to know whether or not, in my experience, is the only way to know whether or not that decision is the right decision. Yeah. Uh, because because if you don't take into account the, the the risks or benefits, there's no way to quantify empirically or otherwise whether or not that decision should be made in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Neil. You've been so generous with your time and and sharing your your experiences, the lessons you learned, and some of the things that you do as well. And I know that there's going to be people on this call who want to reach out and maybe take you up on that $2,000 coffee or just to connect with you for other purposes as well. What would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, Email is always a snap. Neil at 2000coffee.com, the number 2000 is an easy way. Uh, LinkedIn is another great one. I've got a, a great um, network on LinkedIn as well. I'm also, uh, I never accept a penny as a referral fee. Uh, I'm always there to be able to help as well. So if someone has, uh, if they're looking for an introduction to someone or if they're looking for a really quick conversation around, hey, what do you think? I'm happy to have those conversations and help out whenever I can. I think that the, um, I used the analogy before, but the rising tide does lift all ships. If we can help each other out, yeah. uh, we find out better uh, earlier on who the people are who are similar and uh and that that always helps to create more opportunities for the future together yeah yeah total alignment there i truly believe in to give first and that way uh, you can call whatever you want karma whatever yeah um it comes back and nice to have the bank balance be positive all the time yes yeah yeah i love that as well Okay. Well, awesome. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And for those of you who listen to this and really like the show, check out our archives over at amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And of course, if you're watching this and would prefer to listen to it, we're on all of the major podcasting platforms. So just go to your favorite one and search Amplify Your Business and you're going to find us there as well. Until next time, everybody have a wonderful and prosperous day.